<coughs> yes, indubitably on the spot. Here is Rogers with time. Oh, bunch of it. Enzo's shot. Adams goes up and gets it. Touchdown, Green Bay. And Rogers on the road to the Enzo Mercedes Lewis. Touchdown, Green Bay. Four of six throwing. Deep drop here, looking downfield. Aggressive call and a shot into double coverage is intercepted. Rogers backpedals, puts it up top. Touchdown, Green Bay. That is so unbelievable. Another big rush from Gary. Trubisky lost the ball. It's scooped by Creston Smith, who takes it in for the Green Bay defensive touchdown. Heck, bring it five. Trubisky taking it deep into a lot of coverage and is intercepted. They work together. Rodgers flips his hips, flips it downfield. Wide open. Tunyon. Touchdown. Packers. Well, somebody stop a down man. And Ron William Powers spins and scores. Welcome into the inaugural episode of Old Sport Radio. I am your host, Pat Riley. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. The Bears are indeed free-falling after they lost their fifth straight game this past weekend to the rival Green Bay Packers. Ugh, hate saying that, but 41 to 25 was the final score, and it was one of the worst played games of the Matt Nagy era, hands down, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It was ugly. It was disgusting. It was pathetic. It was embarrassing. Any negative adjective you can think of to describe that performance on Sunday applies. As mentioned, it was the worst defensive performance of the Matt Nagy era, as the defense ended with zero sacks or hits on Aaron Rodgers, and having been in the same division as Aaron Rodgers since he came into the league, you know that's not going to get it done. You know that you have to put pressure on Rodgers. you got to get to the quarterback, and the Bears did not do that. On top of that, Akeem Hicks was out coming in this game. You knew that was going to be a huge, huge loss as he is the centerpiece of that defense, up the middle at least. Khalil Mack is probably the best player, but Akeem Hicks' importance cannot be overstated, and it was seen in this game as the Packers ran for 182 rushing yards, averaging... 4.7 yards per carry. Both of their running backs, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, were effective. And the Bears just really got no push up front. And I mentioned Akeem Hicks is out. But the one thing that's been pretty evident this whole season is that this run defense was not the same as it was last year with the absence of Eddie Goldman choosing to sit out this season. Now, again, Akeem Hicks probably the second best defensive player on the Bears, maybe even the best. You could argue that. He could be the most important. But Eddie Goldman was a bona fide run stopper last year. And when you take two large human beings like that, that weigh a combined 600 plus, that's a problem. And I don't care who you're going to fill it in with, that's going to be a problem. Bilal Nichols, give him credit. He's filled in admirably. He's doing his best, but he's not 
out. He's not Eddie Goldman. He's not Akeem Hicks. And, and that showed big time in this loss to Green Bay. Now the excitement, I guess if you could call it that, excitement leading into the game is that Mitch Trubisky was making his return to the starting lineup after Nick Foles was due to miss the game with a hip injury. Uh, but he just he played poorly as well. So I, I, would, I think most Bears fans, myself included, were ready for Mitch to get another go at it because what we had seen in the previous few weeks with Foles as starter was the man is a statue back there. And for someone who plays in the NFL as considered a professional athlete, it is mind-boggling his inability to move at all, to evade any sense of pressure or anything. So it was, the, and the offensive line is, is injury riddled, but they're not great when they're healthy. So with all the injuries, they're pretty bad. And, and he's, he has no time. So it was time to go back to Mitch, someone who has mobility, can use their legs. And as excited as I was for the guy, and as much as I root for him, as much as I like him as a person, as much as I hope on his next team he can succeed because it's not going to be with, here with the Bears. Because he just showed all the same stuff that we were seeing from Mitch Trubisky before he got benched in week three against Atlanta. Poor footwork, bad mechanics, things that should have been ironed out by a guy's 45th start and fourth year in the league. Um, give him credit for trying to push the ball downfield, be a little bit aggressive, but in doing so... All he did was display those flaws as both interceptions by Darnell Savage were thrown into multiple person coverage. The first one was double coverage. The second one was triple coverage. And in both instances, it was clearly obvious that Mitch had predetermined where he was going with the ball before the snap. We're talking about a guy who Ryan Pace traded up for, traded draft picks, to move up one spot to draft him ahead of what is now looking like two surefire Hall of Famers in Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. And in year four with our guy, we're talking about his mechanics and inability to read defenses as the other two took over the number one in two spots in career passer rating this weekend as they reached the minimum threshold of 1,500 throws. Patrick Mahomes, a 110.3, and Deshaun Watson, a 101.6, I believe. Both passing Aaron Rodgers, who held the title previously for the last 10 years. If that doesn't hurt you deep inside, hearing that those are the three quarterbacks at the top of the all-time career passer rating list, I don't know what does. It's your main rival and the guy who's killed you ever since he's been in the league and Aaron Rodgers. And then the two guys that you passed on in order to bat, in order to draft Mitch Trubisky and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. It's just every week it feels like there's a, a, a graphic they throw on the screen that just rubs it in Bears fans' face. And it's tough to deal with. But that wasn't the, my main problem with the offense on Sunday night. My main problem with the offense was that on the second play of the game, David Montgomery rushed for 57 yards and got them down to around the five-yard line. After that, 15 carries for 65 yards and a good 4.3 yards per carry. Now, I know a lot of the way the game played out was indicative to how the score got out of hand early and the Packers took a huge lead. 
But when, when you don't pass the ball well, when you have two quarterbacks that are struggling, when you have an offensive line that is decimated by injuries, you're playing second, third string guys, and guys are playing their second and third different position on the season, you have to just have your game plan to be to pound the rock. Because run blocking is infinitely easier than pass blocking. You basically, there, there are certain things you have to look for and read on the defense, but at the end of the day, it's moving forward and blocking the man in front of you. To whereas pass blocking, you're on your heels, so it's already harder. You've got these specialists rushing you who are relentless, and, and it's just tough for a young guy in a, in a position he's not familiar in, filling in. It's just, it's never going to work in your favor. And, and coming in and passing as much, again, I understand. The game indicated what they needed to do. But when you come out and you get 57 yards on your second play of the game, uh, when you come out and can't score to save your life trying to throw the ball, you, you got to try other things. That, that's pretty much what it comes down to. You have to try and run the ball. David Montgomery has shown flashes but he's never had any room to run. One of my best friends, Andy, is a Packers fan, and we do a podcast together, and we asked him on Sunday, we know it's unlikely, but how can the Bears beat the Packers if they are to beat them? And the one thing he said was to just run the ball up the middle because Mike Pettin plays predominantly nickel and dime defenses. He relies on a few down linemen and one linebacker in most cases, so they get 57 yards on the second play, and then they run 15 times the rest of the game and gain 65 yards. It's just, it's just another thing that is entirely maddening about this team. They can't figure it out offensively. Since week 12 of 2018, they've gotten worse. I think they ended that season 21st. This, in 2019, they ended 28th, and then now they're ranked, I believe, the 30th or 31st offense in the NFL. And the Jets, who have no wins, are basically the only offense that is worse than the Chicago Bears right now. On top of all this, this performance came coming out of a bye week. You had two weeks to prepare for your main division rival, and they lost last week. So if you win this game, you have a chance to pull within one game of the NFC North Division lead and firmly supplant yourself back into the playoff picture. Instead, this is what we got. I've noticed a, a concerning trend with Matt Nagy, amongst many concerning trends since his darling season of 2018 where the Bears went 12-4 and and he was the coach of the year. He is now 0-3 off of the bye week. They've lost to the Dolphins, the Saints, and now the Packers. In those three losses, the Bears' defense is allowing 37 points per game. 37 points per game for a defense that is widely considered elite amongst most people who know anything about the NFL. 37 points per game coming off of an extra week of preparation. Coming off Extra rest time. These are the games where you expect the team on the bye to come out fired up, right? You expect them to come out and punch the other team in the mouth, especially considering the Bears were in the midst of a four-game losing streak at that point. It's just, 
It's so maddening being a Chicago Bears fan. The entirety of my life as a Bears fan has been good to great defenses, mediocre to bad offenses. Never had a good quarterback, while all these other teams around the league seem to find ways to find their guy, find their franchise quarterback, make the playoffs consistently, be a good team. They, the Bears have yet to do that in my lifetime, and I'd be lying if I said it wasn't one of the most frustrating things that I've endured in my lifetime. So what can the Bears do? What can they do to try and salvage the defensive core's prime years? Up next, I'll go over my off-season wish list here on Old Sport Radio on SportstownChicago.com. Welcome back into Old Sport Radio here on SportstownChicago.com. I'm Pat Riley, your host for today's, actually not just today, every Wednesday from 3 to 4 I'll be here giving you my sports takes and whatnot. I mentioned before that I was going to go over my off-season wish list for the Bears heading into the 2021 season because I, I think this season is a wash already. I don't think they're good enough to, if they do make the playoffs, I don't think they're good enough to win anyway. So the defense is great. And it would be great to be able to take advantage of that defensive core while they still have some prime years of football left. So here's what I, here's what I'm going to, here are my offseason wishes. First off, cut Charles Leno and Bobby Massey. Now I know what you're thinking, we need offensive tackles. Well, we need better offensive tackles. And cutting them would save about $6 million each in cap space. And just on a... To preface this, the Bears entered this offseason with $5 million in cap space, possibly $10 million at the most, uh, depending on rollover relief from this season. Um, so they're only, they got limited, limited funds to try and improve this team. They do have a first-round draft pick this year, so that is helpful. But if you cut those guys, you save about $12 million total. Both of them have been middle-of-the-pack tackles since being here. And in my experience, tackles don't improve with age, so I think we've seen the best from them. Secondly, cut Jimmy Graham. He was a revelation in his first five games here. Scored four, six games. Scored four TDs his first six games. During the five-game losing streak, he has one touchdown. And he can't block, so if he's not catching touchdowns, he's basically not doing anything. He's useless. Cutting him. The Bears kept themselves an out with his contract after one year. And I think they'll take advantage of that. They'll save $7 million in cap space. If they do that, so now we go from five million to uh, about an extra twenty million between those three cuts. So we're at twenty-five million. This one, this pains me to say the most, but I think you got to let Allen Robinson walk. And it, and I, it pains me because I have been a big member of the hashtag signing our train. There's been ten to fifteen plays this year, maybe, where I stood up and go, "Pay that man." Pay that man his money. He's been the only consistent offensive player on the Bears for the last three years. But at the end of the day, this is a flawed roster, especially on the offensive end. And there are way too many holes on this team to commit 18 to $20 million annually to a wide receiver, which is what Allen Robinson will be looking to get this offseason. Keenan Allen signed a four-year, $80 million deal in the offseason, and those two are very similar players. And I think... 
that A-Rob will get a similar deal. Probably not in Chicago, though. And you know what? Good for him because I love the guy. He's been a consummate pro ever since he came to the league. He's a legitimate number one receiver. He doesn't have afterburner speed, but he can go up and get it with the best of them. And he's done all of this in his career with Blake Bortles, Mitch Trubisky, and Nick Foles throwing him the ball. So please, A-Rob, go find a good quarterback this offseason. As much as I'd love to bring you back, we just the Bears don't have the cap space, and it wouldn't make sense to, to give you 18 to $20 million. Now, with this newfound cap space, with all these moves, here's what I would do with that money. First, and most importantly, sign left tackle Trent Williams, currently playing for the 49ers, but he's set to be a free agent at the end of this year. He's a perennial all-pro in his career. He's, one of, he's a top 10 left tackle when healthy. And last season, the Bears really squandered a, a huge opportunity to improve at the position as both Jack Conklin and Brian Bulaga were available. And instead, Ryan Pace decided to give $30 million, what is it, $70 million to a 30-year-old Robert Quinn. Not really the best use of money. Both of those guys signed for less AAV. So it's just... You can't ignore the position anymore. And hopefully Ryan Pace isn't the guy making these decisions this offseason. But that would be a good place to start. Shore up the outside of your line because you have something there in the middle with James Daniels and Cody Whitehair, which is going to make my next suggestion a little bit strange. But hear me out, okay? Sign Alex Mack, center for the Atlanta Falcons. Now, I just mentioned two really good interior linemen that the Bears have in Cody Whitehair and James Daniels. Both have played center. Daniels is projected to be a center. Whitehair plays his best at guard, I believe, but was a comfort blanket for Mitch. And then once the line kind of went down, you just had to go with the flow and shuffle him around how you could. But I, I honestly think Daniels maybe has a future as an all-pro guard and former all-pro center, sorry, former All-Pro center, Olin Krutz, has very high praise for James Daniels. He thinks he can be an All-Pro center, but Alex Mack is an All-Pro center. So I would much rather bring someone in who is proven than, than continue to go down the route of potential. Alex Mack is a guy who has been a consistent center for both the Browns and the Falcons in his 10-plus year career now. Missed very few games. He's been second-team All-Pro. He's a six-time Pro Bowler. And it's it's at a point, like I said with the Bears, that they can no longer afford to ignore the offensive line as they have in years past. You, you maybe got a, a good deal with Charles Leno as far as what you pay to left tackle, but we're seeing it on the field. You're getting the production of what you paid for. Charles Leno didn't cost a lot of money because Charles Leno Jr. is not a good left tackle. He might be serviceable. He's probably a really good backup tackle. But to be your starting left tackle, the most important position on the line, the position that protects the blind side, not good enough. Not cutting it. Don't want to see it anymore. And, and I mentioned I wanted both tackles cut. It's unlikely that happens this offseason. I think one of them will be cut, and I think that will be Bobby Massey because he's a little bit older. 
But I would like to see them both gone. I would like to see the Bears start fresh, maybe find a tackle in the draft as well. Although this brings me to this point. They have to draft a QB this year. It sucks so bad that this is where they're at right now. It sucks because 2017, we're sitting there. We have the number three pick. I say we, the Chicago Bears had the number three pick. They traded up for the number two pick. I'm thinking it's Deshaun Watson. I'm getting ready to buy the jersey. And they draft Mitch Trubisky, and he stinks. And Deshaun Watson is really good. And Patrick Mahomes is really, really, really good. And here we are, back to square one. And it's not even, it's like back to square one for the Bears franchise. The Bears have never had good quarterback play. Sid Luckman's name still gets brought up. Sid Luckman. This is 2020, and we're still talking about Sid Luckman. Jay Cutler owns basically every Bears quarterback record that there is to own. And he is one of the most maybe hated athletes in all of Chicago history. Now, I'm a big Jay guy. I love Jay. And I saw the potential there, but he didn't. He didn't fulfill what we expected him to be. We thought he could help lead us to Super Bowls, and he didn't. You know, he led us to a few playoff wins, some of the only playoff wins I've seen in my lifetime outside of the 06 season when they made the Super Bowl run and lost to the Colts. But it's just they need to figure out the position because they've never had a handle on it in the entirety of the franchise. Now, CBSSports.com's most recent mock draft has the Bears picking at number 14. And depending on how this, the way the rest of the season goes, the Bears will probably be drafting from anywhere to 10 to 16. Hopefully lower if they just lose out. But we'll see. We shall see. But they have them drafting Alabama quarterback Mac Jones at number 14. And the scouting report lists him as the best deep ball thrower in college, which is where the Bears struggle mightily. And there are some concerns that he plays for Alabama and he's oftentimes throwing to wide open, wide open receivers. Um, and that's just kind of part, of part of the gig, playing for Alabama. But he does have good deep, deep ball. And I, I don't really know what else to say about that. That's where the Bears are terrible. That's where they're bad. They are terrible at the deep ball. Both quarterbacks overthrow it. It's, it's terrible. This past weekend, though, we did have some monumental moments in sports for women. And when we come back, I'll explain why this gives me hope as a soon-to-be dad of a baby girl here on Old Sport Radio on Sportstown Chicago. I mentioned before that this was a historic weekend this past weekend for women in sports. And it was really cool to see Saturday, Sarah Fuller of Vanderbilt became the first female player to play football for a Power 5 school as the former soccer star kicked off the second half of the Vanderbilt-Missouri game, which, unfortunately for her team, it was a 41-0 blowout, which is why she only had the one kickoff. But it was a it was a planned squib kick. She kicked it exactly where it was supposed to go, did her job, and she was named the SEC Special Teams Player of the Week. And then on Sunday, we had Callie Brownson, 
became the first female to be a position coach in an NFL game as she filled in as interim tight end coach for the Cleveland Browns. In doing so, she has now, she now has the highest rank that a female has ever had on a football coaching staff, which is just really cool. And I mentioned before, for myself personally, this is a really cool thing to see. My wife is pregnant. She's due within the month. She's, she's ready to pop. And sports is one of my biggest passions in life. And, and I'll certainly be trying to pass that passion down to my daughter. And seeing that these, these type of women are paving the way and breaking down barriers so that girls can grow up aspiring to have the same dreams that little boys can have in regards to professional sports. My little girl can grow up with dreams of being an NFL kicker or a football coach or a pitcher in baseball. And it's these women like Sarah Fuller and Callie Brownson who pave the way for the younger generation and, and inspire them and let them know that this is something that they can do. And, and nothing is impossible if you put your mind and effort into it. And I love it. I love it, and I'm happy for them, and I hope everything works out well. When we come back, does the NFL have a COVID-19 problem? We'll discuss the wacky Week 12 that was and the realistic chances of finishing the 2020 season. Welcome back to Old Sport Radio here coming to you live from the Fred Weintraub studio at the Illinois Media School Lombard. I mentioned that the final game of week 12 in the NFL season is being played as we speak between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens. Just a quick score update for you. The Steelers currently lead 9-7 over the Ravens with nine minutes left in the second quarter. But how? How did we get to this point where a game is being played at 3.40 Eastern on a Wednesday? So I've got here a little bit of a timeline for this craziness and how we got to this point. Because I saw something the other day. This will be the first NFL season ever now where a game is played on every day of the week because Christmas is on a Friday this year and they have a Friday game. We've played Tuesday game already this year because of COVID. All we needed was Wednesday. We know we got Thursday night football every week. We got Sunday night, you know, obviously Sunday, Saturday once college football is done, always. But we got a Wednesday game finally. And personally, I've been waiting for a Wednesday game. There's nothing like a good hump day football. I'm just kidding. I, this is crazy. But here's the timeline. Because remember, originally, Steelers-Ravens was supposed to be the nightcap on Thanksgiving, the, the Thursday night football game, which has the Sunday night crew, which is why we had Al Michaels and Tony Dungy with the Bears-Packers on Sunday night. But I digress. So here's the timeline of events. Monday, November 23rd, it's announced that multiple Ravens players tested positive for COVID-19. Practice facility closes down to limit the spread. Tuesday, November 24th, Ravens announced that more players have tested positive for COVID. At this time, plan was still to play Thanksgiving night game. Wednesday, November 25th, Ravens announced more players and personnel test positive. NFL officially postpones the game from Thanksgiving night 
through Sunday afternoon at 1.15 p.m. Thursday, November 26th, when the game was originally supposed to be played, reports emerged that more Ravens players have tested positive, including quarterback Lamar Jackson, bringing the team's total to seven players on the COVID list and another four testing positive. Friday, November 27th, the NFL announces that the game will be moved to Tuesday night. As a result, Baltimore's Thursday night game against the Cowboys next week will be moved to Monday to avoid the Ravens playing two games in two days. Saturday, November 25th, 28th, excuse me, Ravens conduct widespread rapid testing, which reveals another six positive tests, bringing the team's total to 17. Monday, November 30th, the NFL intervenes and stops the Ravens from practicing as planned, reschedules the game from Tuesday night to Wednesday night. Since then, there have been no further positive tests. The game was able to be played today and is currently going on. And give the Ravens credit. They're, at least in the first half, they're putting up a pretty good fight, uh, being undermanned and being down their quarterback, their top two running backs, their tight end, who is their best receiving playmaker. And they're still probably better than the Bears. They scored a touchdown in the first half, not in the two-minute drill when the offense, the defense is on their heels. But I digress again. I just am so upset about the Bears. I wanted to touch on, though, does the NFL have a COVID problem? Because here we are, as I mentioned before, this isn't the first game that has been rescheduled to later in the week. We've had Tuesday games this year, and, and the Steelers earlier in the season actually had to take their bye early because of the situation that unfolded between the Broncos and the Patriots. And so the Steelers, don't get me wrong, the Steelers had a few positive tests of their own this week, so it's not like everyone's completely void of blame. COVID's spreading like rapid fire in the U.S. in general. And now we're talking about football teams that are traveling, taking airplanes, traveling through now all the private planes, stuff like that. But they're still traveling when most of the rest of the country is being told not to travel. But now we're getting to a point where it's starting to become a serious issue. And surprisingly, all of those changes that I just went through, that whole timeline of events with the Steelers and Ravens wasn't even the craziest thing that happened with COVID in the NFL over the weekend because the Broncos took the cake there. I mentioned earlier in the season, they had an issue playing the Patriots or both teams had breakouts this past weekend, backup quarterback, Jeff Driscoll tested positive for COVID. And after probing into the situation, the NFL found that Drew Locke, Brett Ripien and Blake Bortles, were all in the meeting in a meeting room with him with their masks off, deeming them high risk contact. Now, what does this mean? This means that the Denver Broncos had zero active quarterbacks on their roster to play their game against the now nine and two New Orleans Saints. Because of this, the Broncos lobbied the NFL to have the game changed. The NFL said no, and I thought this was kind of weird considering. It seemed like they were trying to move mountains for the Ravens to try and get them to be able to play their game and, and have Lamar Jackson play, who ultimately didn't end up playing. But the NFL claims that they would not reschedule this game because it was not an active an issue with an active breakout, but rather a violation of league protocol, essentially punishing 
the Broncos and their quarterback room for not following league protocols in regards to being masked in meetings when you're not able to stay six feet away from each other. So they say no. So then the Broncos lobbied to the NFL to start offensive quality control coach Rob Calabrese, who played quarterback at Central Florida. NFL says no. How funny is that, though, that their first thought is to activate a quarterback who obviously didn't get drafted in the NFL, didn't make it in the NFL, but it's such a dire situation that they want to activate their coach to play. But because he's a coach, the NFL says no. And I'm not sure why. It's not like I don't think that would have been a massive competitive advantage, letting a coach play quarterback. The outcome probably would have been pretty similar. So what the Broncos ended up having to do was call up practice squad wide receiver Kendall Hinton, who was a three-year starting quarterback in college at Wake Forest, but most recently played the position, I think it was in 2017. He was undrafted out of college. The Broncos signed him as a receiver to their practice squad. Well, at least we got a guy in there who has a little bit of quarterback experience, right? They'll be able to do fine. No. We're talking about the most important and complex position in all professional sports at the quarterback position. We're talking about a guy who hasn't taken a, a meaningful snap at the position in three years. And on top of that, he hasn't taken, taken a meaningful snap in the NFL at his position that he signed at. So this guy wasn't good enough to cut it as a quarterback to get drafted, as, as a practice squad receiver. Good for him for trying to chase his dream. But this is just an impossible situation for the Denver Broncos. And as expected, Hinton finished the game, one of nine passing, 13 yards, two interceptions. I don't remember the year, but he is the first player in 20 to 30 years, I believe, to finish the game with more interceptions than completions. The Saints beat the Broncos 31 to three. Don't, don't think having a healthy or real quarterback playing in that game would have done much to improve the Broncos' chances as the Saints are probably one of the best teams, the best team in the NFC right now and one of the best teams in the NFL, even, even without Drew Brees. Kudos to Sean Payton, though, because in Taysom Hill's press conference after the game, Taysom Hill only had like 69 passing yards, two and an interception. He didn't have a great game throwing the ball either. He had two rushing touchdowns, but... After the game, during his press conference, Taysom Hill basically said that Coach Sean Payton, once he was made aware of the situation that was unfolding with his opponent across the other locker room, they decided to scale back their offensive game plan a bit and, and just make it more basic. Um, you know, they, and I, I believe that was a move of gamesman, sportsmanship. Taysom Hill said that it happened because they wanted to Avoid any mistakes. They didn't, you know, obviously in a situation like that, there's no need to go out there and try and throw the ball a hundred times just because the other team doesn't have their quarterback and then end up in a situation, maybe you turn it over a few times, defense is able to score a few touchdowns, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a dogfight. The, the Saints wanted no part of that, so they took a conservative game plan. Taysom Hill has proven that he can run a really good offense not having to throw the ball a ton. Maybe not really good, but they have great players on that team as well. So it's not, not exactly the same situation as what the Broncos went with. But 
they were still able to, to win the game handily. But it begs the question now, is there a greater COVID problem in the NFL? Because like I said, they went bent backwards in order to get this Ravens-Steelers game in. Because here's the situation that the NFL is in. They thought they were just going to go plug along business as usual because they're the NFL, one of the biggest entities in the U.S. So they kept their original schedule. And with that original schedule, the only free week is the week between the AFC and NFC Championship games and the Super Bowl. Now, in the last 10 years now, I'd say they've been doing this. After the championship weekend, the Pro Bowl is played the following weekend, and then the Super Bowl. So the, the Super Bowl teams get a, basically a bye week to kind of regenerate, recharge, refresh, get ready, two weeks to prepare for that game. If the NFL continues to go down this road, they are going to have to play a Week 18. They're going to have to remove that bye week in between championship weekend and the Super Bowl. They are going to have to expand the playoffs to 16 teams from the already expanded 14 teams, which will go into effect this season. And it's just kind of a disaster situation. They don't, they clearly don't want to cancel any games because that would trigger all of those things that I just said. The ignorance of the NFL and Roger, Dege- Roger Goodell never ceases to amaze me. Because like I said, we had baseball start out doing their thing, ended up going to a bubble. We had basketball finish their season and do an entire playoff run in a bubble. We had the NHL do their entirety of the playoff in a bubble. The NFL had the opportunity to sit back and watch how these other professional sports were navigating through this unprecedented time and what they could do to try and keep their season going and alive. And there's a good chance that they'll still finish this season. But the obstacles have been plentiful and mighty. And it's starting to get to a point to where now the NFL has, is closing all practice facilities on Monday and Tuesday this upcoming week to kind of try and let the spread die down because there have been a lot of players testing positive. And, and I will say one thing. I was a firm believer that the NFL was just going to do their thing. They were going to lie about the testing, and they were just going to finish their season come hell or high water. I will give them credit to the fact that the testing has been consistent and real, and players have had to be monitored and put on the COVID reserve list, and even players who are in close contact end up on that list. So I will give the NFL credit for taking the, the taking COVID seriously, but I think at the end of the day, they just still thought that they're the NFL, they can do whatever they want, and that was the mindset they went into this with, rather than try to create a bubble or a better situation than what they're going through. Because like I said, national guidelines say not to travel really if you can avoid it. And here we have these NFL teams kind of being able to live and abide by their own rules. And and now we're starting to see the consequences of that. And the last thing the NFL and, and I and from what I'm I've heard listening to other sports talk radio and stuff, the players are starting to get a little bit fed up. And the owners especially, because the owners are doing all this this year, making a fraction 
of what they would have made with full attendance and all those things. Boo-hoo, they're billionaires. But it's getting to a point to where if it keeps getting worse, if we have another week like this, the owners could come together and just say, you know what? This isn't worth it. This isn't worth it to our bottom dollar. We can't do this anymore. And that would just be the worst case scenario for the NFL and for their fans. So let's hope it doesn't come to that. All right, that wraps it up for the first episode of Old Sport Radio here on sportstownchicago.com. I'm Pat Riley. Thank you guys for listening. See you next week.